segue to, uh, to Joseph. And we're actually going to be there today, I promise. But I'm on the wrong end of the Bible. There we go. Um, I've been accused in this series, and I mentioned it last week, and we made an extra long cliffhanger that uh, we get to the end of the chapter and there's a cliffhanger. So I'm going to trip over the end first because we're going to have a month-long cliffhanger called Christmas uh, coming here pretty soon. Now, we have uh, several weeks where we're going to be having other kinds of uh, presentations during our morning worship. Next week would be our Hanging of the Green service in a couple of weeks for two Sundays. Uh, we'll have a guest speaker, uh, Bill Lighty, teaching us on deacon ministry and, and renewing that in our church. And then, um, then we'll have Christmas, and we'll talk about a different Joseph a little bit. Who could that be? I don't know. We're still going to be talking about Joseph, but it won't be this guy. All right? So um, we're going to start actually in chapter 45 today, but we're not digging into chapter 45. I just want to make sure we get to the end before we go there. So I invite you to stand, and we're going to read the first three verses of chapter 45 before we look at chapter 44. Spoiler alert, this is fun. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Father, make your word live to us and help us be, um, be humbled at your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 44. <laughs> going to back up a little bit. Um, one of the guys I listen to a lot, um, and, I, and I feel like this is uh, just telling me, do you, maybe I just needed an extra week to prepare for this one. I don't know, uh, after last Sunday. But uh, Alistair Begg, uh, I, I listened to his messages going through this, and the chapter he didn't have a message posted on his app for was Genesis chapter 44. Ah. <sighs> kept looking for it. I kept typing in the number I thought it might be. It never showed up. I have 45. I have 43. Here we are on 44. I just, you know, his perspective on it and, and how that happens there. But this is, a, this is kind of where uh, we talked about calamity earlier. This is where the brothers think that they are doomed. And in the midst of this destruction, of this trial, of this calamity, they discover that God has brought them here. And so in uh, chapter 44, they have just finished the big party, right? And even in some, um, it says in this, and they drank and were merry with him at the end of chapter 43. So they just had a big party. They didn't really understand what was going on. They knew something was strange, first of all, because they were in this guy's house. And second of all, because Benjamin, the youngest, who hadn't been with them on the first trip, ends up with five times as much food as the rest of them. Maybe he looked hungry. I don't know. I, I, you know who, who gets the most food at Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, I don't know. We see it's, the kids' table seems to go after the dinner rolls. That's what I know. Um, so we, we see all of these uh, different problems come to, to place right here. 
when Joseph is going to send them away. And as I've been studying this over the last couple of weeks especially, I keep thinking about what does Joseph's steward, as they call him in this passage, think about this whole situation? The guy, you know, Joseph is the governor of the land, as they call him in some translations. He's the head of all things except for what Pharaoh decides he's in charge of himself. But if people want food, they come to Joseph. And it's been that way for about 10 years. And then it was about, you know, 10 years before that they saw him ride off into Egypt, his brothers did, uh, sold as a slave. It's been estimated that it's been about 23 years since that moment. So Joseph is about 40 years old at this time, and his brothers are all older than him except for Benjamin, who they call the boy in this. It makes me wonder how old he actually was, because he was, uh, he was probably older than what we would picture as a boy. He's probably in his 30s, and you know that, that's all perspective, by the way. <laughs> you know, the older you get, the younger people are younger than you look. They, you know, like, sometimes I look at, at these kids and I go, what, how are you driving? You just, got out, you just got out of diapers last week. That's, you know, anyway, and usually they're a better driver than I am. Anyway, that, that, that's how it all works out. But chapter 44, let's go to the start there. He, then he commanded, this is after the party, right? Then he commanded the steward of his house, filled each man's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the, young, or in the, mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. So the steward, what is going through that guy's mind? He's following orders. Has Joseph conversed with him about it? Not apparently, other than to say, you need to do what you're told to do. But I think about that. I think about the guy who's setting the table and who has seen this party and, and has seen Joseph's interaction here and going, why is the boss acting so weird? Why is he acting so strangely? He knew he wasn't an Egyptian, but I doubt Joseph, because of the danger in the situation, had given himself away. And we see that actually work out itself as we just read that in chapter 45. Joseph has done a lot to protect his roots the source of who he was. And so, um, so they set him up to leave. They send him back. Verse 3, here we go. And this is where we see a, a, a shift with the brothers. We've seen Reuben speak for the brothers up to this point, but remember when Joseph, I'm sorry, when the brothers left Jacob, Judah vouched for things. And now we see that this guy Judah does it again. Now, Judah is a character that has shown up already. Chapter 38, we see some of his tales, some of his story. We know that ultimately he is the one that our Messiah comes from his line. The anointed one, Christ, comes from the tribe of Judah. And these brothers now are not yet tribes. They're all brothers. It's like you wonder what, what in the world do they think of what is going to happen to their families a thousand years later. My phone is buzzing. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to put it away. Um, so I should have put it on silent, and it's buzzing at me. So as uh, verse 3, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had only gone a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up 
and follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. What is this called? It's called a setup. It's called a setup. He's, he, he knows what he's about to do. And I, even as he has this plan, you wonder, what is Joseph thinking as he sets all this stuff up? How is he going to respond? And we see in chapter 45, it's very emotionally, and probably an emotional basket case at this moment because he's sending them away again. But he, you know when you, you think the party is going to go a certain way and you've got it all laid out, and then the dog comes through and knocks everything off the table. That's kind of what happens here, is that Joseph has it all set up, and he is trying, he's testing them. I called the message last week the final exam. This week, I call it Judah and the brothers. It's the same story, but I got to thinking about it. This is far more than just an exam. This shows what Christ ultimately does for us. Because what we find is that there is one brother, Judah, who takes the lead in the midst of it. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. Verse 6, they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. So they lay it down and they say, we have not done a thing, we're going to prove it to you. Again, the setup. They think that they're going to be on the free and clear. And he searched and says, uh, verse 11, then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. As it was planned, right? It makes me wonder. I'm always paranoid when I'm traveling that I've forgotten my toothpaste or, or something. And I'm always looking in my bag to see what I miss. And every time, it's something. And I, a lot of times, will come back with a souvenir in the form of a new pack of underwear or, you know, or something like that. Here, you have these, these guys that are going, they, they set up their bags. They know that they just got the food. And yet this money keeps showing back up. And now Benjamin has the silver cup. They tore their clothes. And every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. How far did they get? Not far. They, they weren't like, it wasn't like they were uh, you know, gone two or three days. This was that same morning. It's like they did a search and they discovered the master's cup is gone. Then Judah and his brothers. Okay, see the, the change in tone right here. It's not the brothers. It's Judah. Judah plays a major part in this story. But we're going to come to the place here, in that, and I think at this point in the story, we see two pictures in different people of an insufficient view of what our Messiah does for us. You see little pieces of who... Christ is through these brothers. And, and in both Judah and Joseph, we see it. And Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there. Of course he was. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? I can't tell you how much controversy there is in the commentaries about this. 
And I think they're talking in, you know, they're, they're talking around the white elephant in the room. I don't think that, I think Joseph is tricking them here. I don't think Joseph has any use for divination. I mean, he's been faithful to God through all these things. So I, I don't understand sometimes when these guys get wound up on these things because really those, those kinds of issues don't matter that much. Joseph was a man. Joseph was a sinful man. Why? Because he was a man. And yeah, it was possible that he lied. And he tricked them here. He lied to them in the first place on this whole thing, right? He's, it's a setup. What is a setup except an elaborate lie? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man whose the cup was found shall be my servant. That's Joseph, not Judah. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So Judah remembers the conversation that he had with dad, and he said, you know what? If we don't come back with Benjamin, none of us should come back. He's laying it all out there. He's saying that we can't go back to dad without Benjamin. Even if he is the one who did this. But Joseph's not going to let him off the hook on it because you know, he's reeling it in, right? Went for a walk down by the river. It's amazing how many guys go fishing when it's 40, less than 40 degrees outside. But you, you see him working real hard to get that one tiny little trout there. That's kind of what Joseph's playing with here. He's, he's, he can't decide, I think, at least in, in, in studying this, he can't decide the best way to ultimately deal with the problem. He wants to reveal himself to his brothers. He wants to show that he is still alive. He really wants honesty about whether his father is alive. And yet, he doesn't think he can trust them. That's what this is all about. Now, when we start making mistakes in our lives, that's what happens. Is that the thread on the blanket starts coming out. It gets unraveled. And we get a big old mess. 20 years earlier or more, the brothers made a big mistake. And I think Joseph, honestly, has been getting a little revenge on them along the way. I can't really blame him. You know, I remember my brother and his friends doing mean things to me and, and, and my best friend. They were, we were all like a double brother family. Everybody had a brother friend. And I remember those brothers torturing me and, the, and, and my, my best friend when we were kids. And, I, and, and, and I, I remember, if I could just get back to them, right? Well, thankfully, they didn't sell me to the guy driving down the street. That's what happened here. Can you think that, do you think that Joseph might have had a little bit of a vengeful heart in some of this? Now, we see ultimately it works out otherwise, but he's, he's playing the strings a little bit, right? He's letting them suffer some. Judah went up to him and said, O oh Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. So it goes between Judah and Joseph now. Let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. The Lord has asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or brother? So he recounts the whole story here. That's where we're going to get. He recounts and replays everything that's happened. 
And there are some details that are a little different along the way than for where we first saw. He, you know, and, and we'll point those out along the way. But, but ultimately, Judah is, is presenting himself as a replacement for Benjamin, thinking that Benjamin is lying, probably, right? I mean, who didn't believe their little brother lied to him? That he's the one who stole the silver cup. But Judah knows that if they don't return with him, things might as well be done with dad. We said we have a father, an old man, a younger, a young brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, so we should leave his... For if we should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Laying it all out before him. When he went back to your servant, when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And their father said, go out, go again, buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down. If, your young, if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless your young, our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, I like the humility that Judah is offering here. He's, he's, he realizes his place before this governor, not knowing it's his little brother, but he realizes that they are at the mercies of this man. And he's humbling himself. He brings down the whole crew to a a level of need. And really, that's where we all are. As we come before the benevolent Father, knowing that He is the giver of all good things, and we come together asking Him for His blessings. It's a pretty good Thanksgiving message right there. We are only blessed because God has done it. Every blessing comes from Him. Uh, Let's see, where did I leave off? Verse 27, then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me and I said, you, surely it has been torn to, he has been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Sheol is that place of death, to die. I am old. If this guy doesn't come back, my favored son, I'm just going to kick the bucket. And I know people that I think pragmatically have died of a broken heart. And that's where Jacob finds himself here. Israel, the father of these 12 sons. So now, Judah offers himself. Now therefore... As soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound when the boy's life, as soon as I see that the boy is not, as, as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. Your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to shale. For your servant became a pledge for safety, pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. In this chapter, I really see the, the picture. Joseph is, is one of everybody's favorite stories. 
I, I hear it from people all the time. And you usually don't tell me if it's not your favorite story, although I have heard those things. But most people love this story. And, it, and a lot of it comes down to this moment. Joseph, throughout, the reason Joseph's story matters so much is, first of all, he brings rescue ultimately to the children of Israel. They're in the midst of a famine. They are going to die if they don't get food. They need rescue. Joseph unjustly is punished, takes uh, this, this sentence of prison imprisonment, ultimately is elevated to the place where he can rescue his family. And his family then stays for a long time. But Joseph is the deliverer at that moment of his people. And if the, the deliverer was not there, then they would have died. Because you, you, don't, you don't live if you can't eat. Eventually, your body shuts down. Now, we see in that deliverer a picture of our Messiah, of Christ, Jesus, to come ahead. Because in Him now, we find life because He has gone before us to pay a penalty that we deserved. And He endured the hardship and the suffering. And yeah, it may not have been 20 years in, in service to Pharaoh, but I don't think anybody wants to endure what Jesus did the last week of His life. As the pure spotless offering. Yet he is the one who pays that penalty so that we might have deliverance. Now, with Judah, we see another aspect of it. Joseph is the one sent against his will. Jesus was sent willingly. He went knowing that he was the only one who could do it. He sends Joseph against his will. Now, Judah seeing this great confusion, says, I'm offering myself as the replacement. I will live in servitude because of my brother's sin. And he gives himself as that sacrifice. So, in Joseph, we see the Messiah as deliverer. In Judah, we see the Messiah in the picture of atonement. That he is going to take, he is willing, whether the master, he doesn't realize his younger brother, realizes or is willing to take it, he is willing to give himself as the price for his brother's sin. So that the rest of his family, his father, can have food and have life. So, Joseph the deliverer, Judah, the atoner. I don't know if that's actually a word. But the anointed one. The one who's willing to take the penalty. Here we find it. Let's see. Uh, how far did I get? Verse 33. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Because of his great love for his father, for his family, he's willing to be a replacement for that. Joseph has played it out as long as he can. 
He's strung these guys out. I mean, he's been in, he's been in Egypt for 20 years. <laughs> I don't know how long this period of time is. Several months at least, right? They come down. He recognizes them. He sends them back and says, don't come back unless your little brother's with you. And they do come back, and he's going to send them back, and now he brings them back to jail. And, and you know, it... It just goes back and forth, and, and, you know, Joseph, whatever his plan was to see it all happen, he probably didn't expect this. And in Judah, we see a willing offering for the sins of his brother. As Christ, our older brother, says, is our offering for our sins. Verse, and then that's where we get to 45. Now, there's a whole bunch of great stuff in chapter 45, but I, I didn't want to leave the cliffhanger there, right? That's where we started today. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So did that mean his brothers? Obviously not. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Why did this matter? Well, Joseph was a man of rank, and he wasn't allowed to... Break face. It made. And I, I thought of along the way the picture. And I thought about finding the picture. I always forget to do that. I need to do it like the moment I think of it. But of the uh, the soldiers at Buckingham Palace, right? And all the pictures and the cartoons you see of people making funny faces at them, and they're still standing there like this. That's the picture we see of the Egyptians of that time, stoic. Not allowed to show emotion. So Joseph sends out everyone who's underneath him so they won't see him in this moment. Because he's going to reveal himself. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my brother, is my father still alive? Again, more and more questions pop to my mind. Did he ever, did they ever mention Joseph's name? When they were talking about the brother that died? Huh. So there's a clue. He knows the brother's name, and he says he is that brother. Now, he doesn't look like them right now because he's clean-shaven. He's got the Egyptian uniform on, whatever it might have looked like at that moment. But his brothers could not answer him, for they're dismayed. In his presence. Joseph has the opportunity to get revenge <laughs> of all things. And, and I think, again, he's been toying with them, right? But what does he do? He shows who he really is. And one of the remarkable things, and through all of these trials and all of these struggles and these imprisonments and the false accusations and uh, the blessings and the curses, Joseph is still faithful to who God made him to be. He is the deliverer for that moment. And in a month or so, we'll come back to this passage and finish out. We just got a couple more passages with the story of Joseph here. But what we find is that God has offered us that same rescue. Actually, an even greater rescue because we are under the curse of sin on this flesh. He came 
and paid the price himself as Jesus. We follow him and trust him. Every picture that we see of a type of Christ in the Old Testament, which we've seen two this morning, I tried to explain them clearly, clearly as I can, every picture that we see in the Old Testament is insufficient to the reality of Jesus. Jesus saw our need. He saw that we were in a famine that we could not take care of ourselves. He came and bought us life. He offers us hope in that moment. And it's easy, man. I've been there... You know, everybody's there somehow. It's easy to get bogged down in your circumstances and realize you're never going to escape. And maybe in your flesh, again, talking about what Paul said, maybe in our flesh, we're going to have to deal with something all the time. But Christ is faithful. Christ has paid the price so that we can understand that there is fulfillment in him, and then in this life, we are called to make much of his name so that we bring people with us when we meet him in glory. Proclaim the good news in the land of the living. To, to recognize our faults, to confess to one another our sins. What did Judah do right here? He laid it out. Joseph offered grace. I mean, we're going to get there, but ultimately that's what we see. His brothers at this moment are baffled. They don't know what's going on. I'm not sure Joseph even really knows what's going on here. All he knows is that he is at a moment that he never thought would come. Two verses that I meant to just use last week that I ended up preaching the whole sermon out of. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Without Christ, we are without hope. Christ offers us life. He offers us forgiveness. He calls us to live out His love through the power of His Spirit. We talked about all those things and sang about them this morning. He empowers us to overcome the trials and the struggles that we're going through through the work of His Holy Spirit. This world is not easy. But He is not abandoned. I'd never spent 20 years in a foreign land. I did spend six years in Texas. That's a totally different issue. But I've never been at a point where I thought I was abandoned completely. But I pray that if that moment comes, I can be found faithful as Joseph was and offer the grace that God offered through him. Let's pray.
God, you're good. You're a faithful